podcast. Uh, if anyone's been starting from the beginning, the first episode you heard about my niece and her anxiety issues, that's actually what pushed me into doing what we do here. Uh, because the work we were doing sort of backstage in the lab science, I realized that more people needed to hear it when it hit my own family. And fast forward now, today that's what we're talking about, anxiety. And Natasha Sorella, who's with us today, you did something really cool before this uh, day happened. You know, we had, we had our sort of call, let's, what are we going to talk about? And in your sort of how do I manage my anxiety way, you you did something where you told me, here's why I have anxiety about this coming podcast. Here's kind of what we need to do about it. And you helped me help you manage it. Yeah. Right? And I thought that was really cool because you, there's a lot of people for whom, okay, that's the crisis. The anxiety is I can't do this I, the, t- until the minute that thing is over, I'm done. But you built this sort of coping, coping mechanism, oh, sorry, mechanism structure around how to deal with it. And I thought that was a great way to get started. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, based off of that, what I found was really cool was in that first episode when you talked about your niece and talked about that experience, which I know I'm, I'm sure I'm going to bring up later on at some point. Um, you know, I felt so connected to that. And so, so, so many light bulbs kind of came off for me when I was listening to this story and understanding your approach into um, anxiety and, you know, just kind of how our bodies process certain things. So I'm really excited. Thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, to speak to that point of what you were saying about, you know, kind of what I do to manage my anxiety and why this, this is so fitting is I find for me the best way to kind of prepare for my day and to know that I will be able to cope with kind of what comes up is by just like acknowledging it, like acknowledging the fact that I feel anxious on a day-to-day basis. And that's not to say that that can't change or that I don't have amazing days or I don't have really awful days, but just by acknowledging it and saying like, Hey, I know, I know what comes up for me. Like this is one small step I take every day. Um, if I'm going to face something where I know that that kind of feeling arises and then I kind of feel relieved by it. So letting you know that, you know, coming up, I was going to feel anxious a little bit and like, you know, preparing for that was really helpful for me. And that, that there's that sort of burden of taboo, right? Where people don't want to, what you did, you owned it, right? Yeah. And you said, here's what I need to do. Here's how it's going to work for yeah. me. This is the structure that I need. And now you're flourishing, right? Exactly. Whereas I can't talk about this. It's embarrassing. You know, the people around me may not support it. So you might need to change that, right? Yeah. So that removing that taboo and making it a point of here's how I need to get stuff done, removed half your problem. Absolutely. That's, right? that's what it's about. And it's, you know, I think for some people, I've, I, it's funny because I remember when I was doing uh, a program not too long ago, I had some feedback where I had, where someone from the program had said like, why do you, why do you tell people that you're anxious? Like you should just not tell them because they'll never know. And it's like, but that's what I don't want. I don't want people to feel like they can't come and say like, this is how I'm feeling. We need space for people to talk about it. And that's kind of where I think my platform even grew from because I know we were speaking a little bit earlier for people that are listening. Um, I created my Instagram page, my anxiety coach as a means to just go through my healing process, to share what I was learning about myself, to share what wasn't working for me, what was working really well in hopes that one person could take that in their own unique experience and, you know, use it to, to the best of their ability and just to really break the stigma around what it means to experience mental health, because it's not as, it's not as cookie cutter as I think yeah, you think for sure. it is. And that's why people that have been through sort of the journey like yourself often come to really unique but powerful solutions because 
when you deal with like some of the challenges you had, well, what's a doctor telling me? What medicine do I have to take? Right. Uh, and that kind of gets you stuck in, I have this condition yeah. that has a label and I now have to sort of manage it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm managing it, meaning that on bad days, I'm taking a pill on good days. I'm not, um, you self-discovered here's other tools here's things i can do because whatever you're doing wasn't good enough for you right and you have a bit of that entrepreneurial spirit about you you want to achieve and get more stuff done and so you sought this stuff out and we all we often find that the best sort of coaching stories or best people that guide and take people off pills which is what we are all about Mm -hmm. are people that have done it themselves right and now you're going out there and just by sharing your story there's what twenty thousand people that are following you all the time saying please help me please help me and you're actually helping them Thank you. That's so nice. It's so nice to hear from someone else. Like it it makes me feel really uh, thankful for the community that I've built. But yeah, absolutely. Like I think for me, it, it's been a lot of trial and error between going to a doctor and getting my diagnosis, which, you know, I think it goes two ways. I think a diagnosis can be really great for people because it can help them make sense of their situation. But I think at other points, a diagnosis can be really limiting for some Mm -hmm. whichever way or maybe you're right in the middle whichever way that is for you like i support um but for me you know getting my diagnosis helped me make sense of things um but along that journey of going through kind of the traditional way of dealing with my my mental health given what the system was telling me it was really limiting like right off the bat i was told to take medication Mm -hmm. i did take medication for antidepressants for I want to say between a year to two years, but honestly, while I was on that medication, I don't remember much, oh, wow. which is scary. It's scary to think that like that can happen to someone. And I, and again, I'm not here saying like I would, you know, not encourage someone to do that. Like I'm all about personal choice. But for me, it was it was just a lot. And getting off of that and then having to go back through <clears throat> the like ups and downs of what my mental health looked like to then seeing, you know, a therapist or seeing a couple of therapists and then moving to a mental health coach and then becoming a mental health coach myself. Um, it's really, it's just really interesting so to in me. That, like the way you describe that, how do you eventually, so you, you know, what you're told, you're growing up, doctor's going to help you, mm-hmm. right? Where do you break away and all of a sudden you're saying, well, this is what I was supposed to do. And this is the authority. This is the person I'm supposed to follow. And all of a sudden, I'm just going to do this myself. Mm. Right. How does that even happen? That's a big question for me because, you know, one of the, one of the attachments my anxiety has, like one of the ways my anxiety manifests is through kind of people pleasing and external validation. Um, and, you know, to go back to my childhood, I was a really, really outgoing, creative, like bubbly child. And somewhere along the way that, that messaging that I received about myself being that way was no longer accepted. And I think because whatever that messaging was, which I can't point to one specific thing, whatever happened to me there forced me to retreat and then look for other people to make sense of my situation. And the more I looked to other people, the more unhappy I became. And Hmm. this, this manifesting feeling inside of me of being really unhappy at some point I was like, okay, well, what have I done? I've, done everything everyone else has told me to do. I've, I've trusted a system that, you know, in some cases fails a lot of people. And now I'm going to take it upon myself because at this point I will try anything. And that's kind of what happened to me. I just was like, the medication wasn't working. The traditional route of therapy wasn't necessarily like it was, it was helping me, 
but it wasn't getting me past this this threshold that stuck. I was at. Yeah, I was stuck. You were stuck, yeah. And I was stuck because I wasn't trusting myself. I wasn't letting myself understand that there were alternative options, which is what I think is so great about what you guys do. You know, like I've listened, again, listened to the podcast, especially about your niece and like the fact that you guys had gone to doctors and said like, there's a problem here. There's an issue here. Like what's going on? And it was like, oh, come back next time it happens. Well, why are we coming back next time it happens? We don't know what the next time it happens looks like, mm -hmm. right? And so what I love about what you guys are doing is you're giving people that alternative route and, you know, at a fairly fairly affordable cost and i think it's incredible it's really incredible well, thank you for that but you know the work that you're doing you know we're able we're able to help sort of people analyze and understand what they're how they're wired yeah. right even then it's one thing to get it but it's most people end up taking that information and stuffing it in a drawer somewhere and then they don't act on it they need help from people like you to coach them through and that's really where the behavior change changing your habits that habit formation yeah. is the key otherwise mm -hmm. you're still stuck even even if i tell you here's what's going on yeah. right for most people that isn't enough Ugh. so how did you when that day that you went from like i'm managing myself to the first person that reached out to me saying can you help me yeah and you realize hey I, i'm actually a healer yeah. when, did, when did that happen um so i started my my instagram account december 1st 2020 I, it's, it's interesting. I was doing my business logistics recently and I was looking at when I started getting, you know, my paid, I don't love calling them clients either. I like to call them people I work with, people I collaborate with. Yeah. So I look, I was looking and I noticed that I think it was already by March. So within two months of kind of putting myself out there out of nowhere, people started reaching out to me and, you know, to say that I like, refer to myself as a healer like I know what I do supports people in healing um but it's still really hard for me to accept that it's still hard <laughs> for me to accept myself as an expert in a in, in a in an area and you know why and I think this kind of touches on what we were saying is because we've been conditioned to believe that if someone has a degree behind their name or if you know someone's gone to school for x amount of years that they know more than someone who's actually gone through this experience and so what i what i love about what i do is i can connect with people and i can make them feel seen and feel heard and in a way how do i put this like in a way it's not about having this perfect structure of what I'm going to deal or how I'm going to like support them. It's about hearing them and letting them talk so that they can kind of figure that out. Mm -hmm. All I'm doing, and like I tell this to the people I work with, like <coughs> all I'm doing is giving you a space to uncover the answers from within. Mm -hmm. Now that paired with, you know, getting the, the right support when it comes to your health, the two combined is incredible. But like you said, I can only do so much as well. It's up to a person Mm -hmm. to kind of come in and become accountable for that. And I know I just went on a, off on a tangent, <laughs> but I mean, to, to jump back on your, on your question of like, when did I realize that? Like, I'm still realizing it. I'm, st I'm still in awe that there are people who want to work with me, who, who want to hear what I have to say. And that's in part me healing yeah. this anxiety that I'm experiencing. And who knows? Like, sometimes I laugh and I'm like, is it even anxiety? Like, what is it? You know? Yeah, and I think what you touched on is important. You, need, you kind of need both. There's that our system that we sort of criticize does a really good job of the acute, like let's solve the problem, yeah. right? And mask it. But the, the mask is often the band-aid. Yeah. 
for which then you need also the support of someone like yourself mm-hmm. to say, okay, you, you've kind of dealt with it, right? Yeah. The emergency is gone, but now let's heal you, yeah. right? Let's figure out why did it happen? That why question is the most oh. important thing that we don't ask because it's so long as we've, you know, the emergency is gone, the, the fire is out, on. right? Then the why doesn't matter because yeah. there's nothing to complain about. There's no pain yeah. point anymore, right? So that's where, yeah, you have to have the combination of both and you'll find that eventually the second tier is where you sort of stay right yeah. that, that that here's the healing here's the coaching because you start to discover discover the why and you can then deal with that root cause exactly and that's and that was you know it i think in that first podcast i know i keep referring to it because i found it so powerful but in that first podcast you mentioned something of like we're treating the symptom yeah and and you know there are so many symptoms for so many of the same like so many different things right but we're not giving people enough space to kind of explore that why and that's what i want to do i want to just continue to you know make people feel safe enough that they can figure out their why and sometimes you know anxiety for example doesn't necessarily have a why it doesn't have a trauma behind it like it doesn't sorry not a why but it doesn't have a trauma necessarily associated with it um but i think it's still important that we have that time and that space and that capacity to be able to give someone the opportunity opportunity to explore the why not to get pushed through a system where it's like okay you got this this and this do this right one size fits all yeah yeah so have you so the people that you've dealt with like you mentioned this type of anxiety this type of are you starting to find that here's kind of the buckets people fill fit in of this you look like you have this kind of anxiety and you have this kind of versus anxiety is this umbrella statement yeah um it's interesting like we when i when i speak to the people that i'm working with i'm trying to kind of you know understand who fits into kind of what categories um i work with a lot of people who experience health anxiety so the minute they're feeling something in their body it sets off that alarm clock to go Mm -hmm. and search the internet and figure out what the the problem is right straight to a problem and then i work with a lot of people who have anxiety around relationships and this idea of codependency um and you know for the for the aspect of the relationships i find that one a lot i find it a lot easier in some senses to kind of work through because you can you can kind of like go back to patterns of relationships in their childhood or potential traumas that kind of came up there and, you know, work through the sensations that come up when people are feeling anxious around their relationships. But I find that the health stuff is a lot trickier for me. You know, um, I've worked with people who have specific phobias of certain things and I don't want to like obviously expose because confidentiality reasons, but that is where I struggle. Right. And, and and we're kind of getting to that point of understanding that a lot of the people who have the fears around health typically have a fear that's deeply rooted in not having control, deeply rooted in the fear of loss. It can be re- like it can be death or it can just be whatever the case may be. But again, the control aspect around it. Um, but I would say relationships and health are what I'm seeing the most of right now. So that's interesting because the way we look at when I was talking about different buckets, mm-hmm. I was expecting you to say something very different. Yeah. What were you because expecting again, if you don't I was, mind? I was assuming that you saw the same thing we saw, but what you saw is really cool because you're seeing it in context. So mm-hmm. what, what we see is different types of anxiety, yeah. right? And it's awesome because in what you're saying, I can kind of see what we're saying in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me sort of break that down. 
So what you said is I'm seeing a lot of health anxiety and a lot of relationship anxiety, mm -hmm. right? Because people are coming to you with their pain point. They're saying yeah. this is what's causing me the problem. What we're seeing is there's people that have sort of a low functioning anxiety, meaning that they're, it's kind of a burden on them, yeah. right? That they, they, they constantly need help. It slows them down. Then there's more of like a high functioning anxiety where they're, they're progressive, but it's actually pushing them, yeah. right? And it makes them entrepreneurial and it makes them because every little detail bugs them and they're just constantly pursuing stuff because yeah. of the anxiousness, right? Yeah. So that context, <clears throat> well, you're sorry, what we're talking about is sort of a profile, mm -hmm. right? Here's the different neurological profiles, the chemicals that drive these two. You're saying here's the context in yeah. which those things express. Here's the two big areas that trigger those yeah. problems, right? So yeah. that's really awesome because we don't get to see that stuff. So the, the, so really what's burdening people is this sort of fear of what's out of their control, yeah. right? Which health which would be the biggest thing, is. right? Exactly, <laughs> right? And then the relationship, which is, again, has it's a sense of control thing because I don't know if what I'm doing is right. If I'm, you know, if, am I making the right decisions? Am I causing this? Are they causing it? All yeah. those questions. And the health one we see it a lot, but I don't think we address it to the degree that you address it because we just see it as part and parcel of someone being sort of ill, that they're going to have this constant, mm -hmm. you know, battle with what do I have? What, what, what do I control? What do I do? And eventually they settle on something that works and they're happy. Yeah. Uh, but they're actually, that's what they're actually working with you on. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it is really interesting. And, and at times I definitely feel stuck in that because, you know, from a coaching perspective, like, you know, I can only do so much when it comes to the health, like the health aspect, you know, we can kind of talk about all that, but I don't know. It's a bit, it's a big topic when, like when I, yeah, when I, I think about the health, I get health it because anxiety. you're saying that you can't get into the health problem, yeah. right? But you can get into what's, why they're coming to you is not the health problem. No. They're burdened by the anxiety that is saying, I can't deal with my health problem yeah. because I can't get off my laptop question. I can't stop thinking about what's going to yeah. happen. Is it this? Is it that? It's a, so that's really where they need your support. Yeah. Is, you know, help me think about this properly. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and to touch on kind of what you were saying too about like the different types of anxiety, because there's obviously social anxiety, there's anxiety related to specific phobias, there's high functioning, there's low functioning, there's all these different areas. But I think a lot of the people, and I don't know if it's because of our day and age, are very high functioning anxiety. Right. And they come to me after so long and they're like, I didn't even realize that it was anxiety because I think we also live in a society where we're all about producing, right? Yeah. And like no one slows down to actually enjoy their day. How often do you sit there in your day and just be mindful? Like just acknowledge that you're a, a, a body with a soul breathing. Yeah. I could tell you, I, I rarely do it and I'm trying to make it a part of my day-to-day -day practice. But the, the high functioning anxiety paired with those kind of themes are... It, it's it's intense like it's, it's, a, intense. it's an intense it, it, it time can, it, it can that unfortunate uh human trait that is well known uh people in new york are working themselves to death yeah and i'm not as a you know in a hyperbole like literally young bankers who are trying to make it are working until they die yeah right because of that high functioning and because the sort of people that drive them know that that's how, what, how you motivate them. So what's the answer? It isn't take a break. It's, well, you're getting a bigger bonus. So there's more, more work, well, right? The incentive, right? Yeah. And, and uh, you said something about um, like dopamine or low dopamine. 
Yeah. You, you know what I'm going for. It's just, just spit it out yeah, for so me. The, the expression of, so meaning that um, pleasure is experienced through dopamine. Yeah. And some people don't bind dopamine that well. So when you're experientially not getting that dopamine hit, yeah. that same experience for you in terms of pleasure reward could be much lower. Yeah. So that, again, that perfect profile of, by the way, I am a high functioning anxiety person. Like mm -hmm. that's my profile. Yeah. I've, it, I, and I didn't realize that until about two years ago when mm -hmm. I started to look into it and everything I was reading is like, this is me, this is me, this is me, this way. And it yeah. all made sense. Yeah. What I thought it was, was drive. I thought that I was like ambitious. Yep. That's what literally what I thought it was. Yeah. And I started it and I realized that this is not normal. This is not normal. This is not normal. all the check boxes. Yeah. And I realized what it was. So I, I now manage it better. I use it to my advantage when I need and I don't slowly kill myself when I don't need. Beautiful. Right. But it, and, it, and part of it is exactly what you said. It's powered by lack of dopamine. Yeah. Right. So that that hit that that pleasure or the reward, you chase it and you chase it and you chase it and you chase it. And anyways, it can never end. No, I and I love that because I had listened to um, someone else speak. I don't remember who said it, but they or I think it was um, Gay Hendricks in The Big Leap, I think. And he had said basically that in his belief or his understanding or his research, dopamine was Dopamine is, people think that it's like exactly what gives you pleasure, but it's actually the chemical that drives you towards pleasure. It's like what makes you chase. Yeah. And so when I heard that that podcast episode where you said something about like low dopamine um, creates an entrepreneurial spirit, I thought to myself too, yeah, like I don't, I, I don't think I experience, like I think I have a deficiency in dopamine as well. And so, you know, that, that idea of drive, it's like, when I do, when I do get that hit of dopamine, it's probably because I've accomplished something. So then there's this, there's this like belief that I'm only going to experience it if I'm like going and like reaching for the stars. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you just want to sit back and like enjoy life. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and then people ask, well, how do I do that? So there, there's actual hacks to up and down regulate your dopamine expression. So I grew up in BC in Vancouver mm -hmm. and I love skiing. Yeah. Right. So um, I couldn't afford it. So I used to borrow my friend's sister's equipment and go out in a pink jumpsuit. And Love it. <laughs> you know, Love it. But, <laughs> but anyways, I loved it. And I didn't learn until recently that <clears throat> the thing that drove me was, first of all, when you're skiing, that's, there's a constant sense of improvement. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like golf. Every time you swing, you just feel better and better yeah. and better. Right. Uh, but the, that cold temperature. So one simple thing that people can do to deal with their anxiety, if they feel like this sounds like them, that's more yeah. of a high functioning thing, is temperature dysregulation, <sighs> cold shower, cold weather, go out with no jacket on, yeah. right? Feel that cold hit and your dopamine levels go up. It's so interesting. Like I, I love the idea of hot, hot, cold therapy. I've done like cold baths, like, or going between the two, like doing extremely hot saunas to where like, sometimes it feels like you're like a little bit delusional and then you yeah. get out and you go and take a, like you go into a cold bath and you stay there for two minutes and you come out of that experience just it's like a euphoric. different person. Yeah. It's a different, like you're just a different person. But I love that idea that like the, the, the combination of the temperature when you're skiing, in addition to, you know, the, the experience of having to improve every time I, I had a horrible experience with skiing, so you'll never see me on a, <laughs> on a hill, but that's, that's so interesting to me. Like for me, my dope, like the way I get dopamine is by dancing. Oh wow! And you know, if I think about the <clears throat> whole idea of temperature, I wonder too, like when I dance, like I'm full out and I'm like sweating and that's like warm for me. And maybe that, I don't know. I it don't know the science behind that, but no, when you're dancing, 
there's all these micro movements and everything is so sort of choreographed you mm-hmm. know to not like lack of a better word but, <laughs> uh, meaning that every micro movement is so precise and you have to think about it and when you hit it you get that hit yeah i did this right i did this yeah. right and it's constant dopamine hit 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 yeah. hit and that's what dancing gives you right so that it. pleasure and this is why you see <clears throat> tribally you know a lot of rituals involve dance yeah wedding celebration because that's how you get into a pleasure mode it's one of the ways and it's not just about the music although it is right it's not just about the dance it's a combination of all that stuff but dance is one of those things that mimics golf that mimics skiing where every little movement you do gives you a sense of reward and pleasure and reward and pleasure and then the dopamine gets hit and it gets hit and it gets hit and you can get lost in it right and all of a sudden everyone's happy i love that i've never thought of it that way i've always thought like when i think about dancing i think about myself yeah um i used to competitively dance oh wow so i like for me getting on that stage and knowing at the end i was going to be like critiqued by it and like I did solos and stuff too. Like for me, that was such a rewarding thing, but I've never thought of it that way. I've just always thought like, I love dancing. Yeah, I've yeah. never thought about like what it is about dancing that I absolutely love. So that's just, I have something to think about when I get home today <laughs> as I'm dancing. I'm like, did I hit that? Did I hit that? <laughs> and that's where, you know, somebody who, again, I'm sure you've dealt with this with the people you're coaching, but they may not have that outlet, right? They may not, they're, they're in their context, whether it, like you said, the relationship problem, the, the health problem. Are they giving themselves another context to sort of get that sense of pleasure and reward that may counterbalance or counteract, you know, what's going on? I don't know if that's something that comes up in the coaching. Yeah, well, and that's what it is. It's, I think a lot of the people that I work with when it does come to all, all their different types of anxiety, I, I start to ask them right at the beginning, like, who are you? What do you enjoy? And most of the time, people cannot tell me what they have enjoyed, what they enjoy. They can't tell me what they do in their day that's just for them. Yeah. Because we're, I think we're so influenced by this external world that we don't realize how important it is to find <clears throat> those things, those little, little things. So for me, it's dancing. For, you know, for someone else, it could look different. But finding those little things to incorporate into our day that help us to regulate, that help us... Um, improve our state and i think too once we get into a really low place in our lives it's so hard to get out of that yeah. and it's so hard to imagine that taking one tiny step a day can improve our life extraordinarily like people don't see that because they don't they don't think they have it within them yeah and that and also people don't think that that's the right path that when it comes to sort of clinical representation of anything it's like get rid of it yeah right whatever i do next should get rid of it but that's not how you achieve health health is like you said tiny steps yeah and the tiny step is achievable that's the thing you can do this like turn the light off or do whatever you need to do just that one thing you're not solving the problem yeah you're just adding new habits that step by step by and once you've got to the 12th or 11th step where all these are already habits yeah you're a different person a hundred percent and you're you're your brain is like wired differently yeah. because of those small steps but like you said, it's it's all about the Band-Aid. Like, let's just cover up the problem here and let's not make people feel like they have any agency in their lives. But we have so much agency. And, you know, we think, like, in some cases, yes, you do need to go to practitioners. You do need to see specialists. You need to do all of that. But at the end of the day, like you said, you can give a person a list of things that they can, can do that are going to help them. But it's 
ultimately up to them. And I think we don't necessarily live in a society that makes us believe that we have control over our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I, that's what I aim to do. I aim to do like, exactly that to show people in those conversations that when you take that small step and you you know you're able to say no to someone that you weren't able to say no no to it for so long like that's a win and we're going to celebrate and that's what we do we celebrate we are literally on camera i've had days where like we will like jump up and down and celebrate (laughs) because for some of us that doesn't look that doesn't look like an accomplishment and I think it's really important to kind of emphasize those accomplishments in order to start to heal whatever it is that we're when, going through when somebody actually does that thing like saying no to someone that, and that's very challenging for oh, most yeah. right and everybody can already think of who that person is for them yeah right so and being able to do that thing that you've been sitting on for two three four five six years whatever not doing it that sense of relief right that the anxiety of like i just i wake up every day knowing i haven't dealt with this thing and that's just going to compound and compound and compound and all of a sudden you one small habit one small change the relief and that that burden that's removed from you you know it's not just it's everything your stress levels go down cortisol you have more energy you're sleeping better you know and it could just be that one thing just say no yeah absolutely but like it's not but it's it's important and it's challenging, but I agree. Like, I know that when I started to learn boundaries, everyone loves the word boundaries. <laughs> but when I started to learn boundaries, I was able to, like, really turn my life around. But not just turn my life around in the relationships that I had, but just feel better, like physically feel better. Like when you, when you do something that you've been putting off for so long, it literally feels like rocks on top of your shoulders have been taken yeah. off of you. And I, I just think it's so powerful. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, these two contexts you talked about, the relationship issues and then the health issues. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the relationship one. What are the sort of big two or three things that you end up telling people? Or, you know, that sort of constant theme that here's the stuff that kind of always comes up. Here's what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Here's that. Because there's some people that may not go... <clears throat> to the extent of getting coached or may not get may not even get diagnosed but they're starting to hear this like it sounds familiar yeah what are those two two three big things that they should be doing um i would say if it comes to things around relationship and you find yourself constantly like indulged in your relationship and that's all you think about day in and day out and you're you're worried about it or you're withdrawn from it because like relationship anxiety can look very different some people are like very attached to the piece, the people that they're dealing with. And I don't even mean like intimate relationships. It can be kind of anything. It can be familial. It can be platonic, whatever the case may be. It can be relationships at work. Um, the biggest thing I, I find is that those people don't know how to be alone. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is spend some more time alone with yourself. Sense like whatever that means. Like if you're, <clears throat> if you don't take 10 minutes in your day to just be in a room with yourself with you know your thoughts and you find even being with your thoughts is hard journaling like i know everyone talks about journaling and it it kind of can seem a little mainstream right now but i think spending some time with yourselves and yourself and having prompts to go through to understand what it is that's going on for you and what specifically with the relationship is what's triggering you or keeping you withdrawn or you're feeling detached from whatever the case may be um, other things in relationship, I think, is healthy communication. Uh, I think a lot of the people that I work with 
have a hard time speaking up for themselves, especially when it comes to their needs. And they expect the person that they're having this relationship with to be a mind reader. Right. None of us are mind readers. Learn that your needs, and it goes back to the point of being alone. You need to learn that you are important. You have to learn that your needs are important, but you also have to learn how to effectively communicate. I, you know, with my partner, like I set aside time to sit there and say like, I need to talk to you. This is what's going on for me. And we even have this agreement because I'm a, I'm a very fiery person. And because <laughs> like, sometimes I don't really want to hear an opinion. I just need space to like talk to, to hear answers. I will literally say like, can you hold space for me? And if you can, can I kindly ask you to like not give me feedback until I ask for it? And I know that sounds silly, but like that's what works in my relationship. So having open conversations, you know, with your partner or with your friends or with your family. And I know how difficult that can be too, because not everyone is going to be receptive of it. But again, like finding ways to communicate what it is that you need in your relationship is going to, is going to be key. There's, there's the communication, but then there's like, you yeah and, and, I think, and i think it's just all about spending time with you sorry go and ahead. The, no sorry just what you just said there sounds so simple and easy but no one's doing it no. right take that block of time put it in your scalp it's very difficult to like you said how do i talk how do i bring this up block time yeah right here's 10 minutes and the purpose of this 10 minutes is this yeah it makes it so much easier don't you do that at work absolutely don't you have meetings that yeah. where the right people are invited yeah. and don't you resolve stuff and move on but at home you can't. So sorry to cut you off. No, but that. No. I just thought that was brilliant because it's so simple, but it's so powerful. Yeah. And I, th- I think the, I don't know what the, the difficulty behind it is for people, whether it's that they just can't acknowledge that they have their own needs or that we've kind of, like, I find that a lot of us, including myself, like we blame. Yeah. It's like I, my partner or my friends or my family, no one's a mind reader. Right. So if I want something or if I need something to change, I have to start by speaking up for myself. And then, you know, if you've been speaking up for yourself and it's not working, then, yeah, then, then we take that a step further. But from the start, like, recognize, spend some time alone, think about what you need, write down what you need, meditate on what you need. You know, if some, some people move their body and they get answers while they're moving their body, whatever the case is that makes you feel good to tune into yourself, figure out what your needs are, and then learn in what areas of your life you're not having them met and how you're going to communicate that to start. But that also, like, that, the concept of setting aside time is also really interesting because I've, I've worked with um, people who have extreme health anxiety. Mm-hmm. And in those scenarios, one of the, the cool things that we've worked on is setting aside time with someone who you feel safe with to talk about that health, but not give it the whole day. Because by sitting there and saying, you know what, I get, you get 10 minutes, like if let's say, you know, my partner had bad health anxiety and I was so used to him sending me messages all day long, like, oh my goodness, like, you know, I have a headache. Like, do you think this can be a tumor? Like I searched up this symptom and it's saying that I could have cancer, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. You get to have 10 minutes of your day to talk about that. But outside of that 10 minutes, we're going to learn how to regulate. We're going to learn how to sit with ourselves. We're going to learn to experience what's coming up in our bodies rather than, having that outlet for you to talk about it all day long because when you do that you 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 condition yourself to believe that whatever you're doing is okay and you're just feeding into the habit yeah feeding in deeper and deeper and deeper yeah Yeah, down the rabbit hole yeah Yeah. no that's powerful just those two things being alone and being with yourself yeah right and understand and you finally get to hear yourself right (laughs) and and then the truth comes out and then you know what to put into those 10 minutes so that's awesome 
So, so the relationship, we, th those two things, I think if anybody just does those two things, they're going to have massive results. Mm -hmm. Then on the health side, you kind of started touching on it, but you said the same thing. Don't make it your, your sort of that thing that's spinning in the back of your head all the time. Yeah. What are a couple other things that are, you know, that you see, here's a, the habits you need to adopt here. I would say for the health stuff, it kind of goes back again to a different type of understanding. I think with you know we talked about earlier like what is kind of usually underneath the health stuff is some sort of fear well like what is that fear and how do we face that fear you know for some the fear of of losing control what can you do like what can you do in your day-to-day -day life to let yourself experience what it's like to lose control because i think you need to see on the other side of it that it's not as bad as we think it is and again that's not to downplay people and it's not to downplay their traumas or whatever led them up into developing this fear which manifested into anxiety it's about letting like letting yourself see that it's not as bad so can you do something spontaneous can you you know i don't know it's it's a tricky one because it really i think it depends on what the case is but like again like doing something that goes against completely what it is that you're feeling mm -hmm. yeah i get that and i get that some people there's also this procrastination that's built in mm. where you know, it's like, I'm not, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to know, you know, uh, I'm going to go do my own research first, which all those things are okay. Uh, ultimately, you need to deal with stuff, yeah. right? But there's, the, like you said, that finding the right time when I'm ready for it, et cetera, et cetera. But that procrastination really, I, I've done it myself. Yeah. I, I had, I remember a swelling in a lymph node here. Yeah. And my solution was just to touch it every five minutes for like five mm. days, right? It's like, is it still swelling? Yeah, it's, it's still, there's a bit of a lump, yeah. right? But I should have ran to somebody to seek out what, what it is, right? Yeah. It wasn't a big deal in the end, but that procrastination I know kicks in, so. It's interesting because the, there's the procrastination piece and then most of the people that I like work with that have health anxiety um, are usually like the complete other extreme. Like they will go to their doctor, they will yeah. call a hundred times, like they will, they will be so on it and it's you know i think it's like whatever you're going to find out is going to be as hard as it's going to be whether or not you know about it in advance um so yes i agree with like what you're saying is go get the help if you're procrastinating on the help go get the help but i think there's also that piece around like recognizing that nothing we can do right now is going to make what a potential outcome is any easier. Like we, right. we're trying to prepare for the worst. A lot of us with anxiety do that. Um, when in real reality, when it hits, it doesn't, if it hits most of the time, it's if, if it hits like that doesn't knowing or anticipating it didn't necessarily make it all that better because we don't want to deal with pain. And I think something interesting to think about too, when you were saying all that, I was thinking too about how we become so comfortable being uncomfortable, but not like uncomfortable in like you a just good get used way. To it. Yeah, you yeah. just get used it's to it and it becomes your norm. And it yeah. and it actually is what you're what you're you've told yourself is safer. Like we think it's safer to have yeah. anxiety and to prepare ourselves. Yeah. But it's not. Especially like when you get into cultural things and familial stuff. Like the pain of the relationship problem, I just, it's part of life. I got to deal with it, right? Yeah. And it's gonna just keep going and going, and that will slowly kill you, yeah. right? So for yourself, so you you're now sort of at the tail end of this journey. I know you said you're never gonna stop learning or improving. Uh, what's that? Who are these two different people? How did it start, and who are you now? What does it look like? Oh my goodness, um, you know, I think when I started off on this journey, I was 
highly anxious. I had no understanding of who I was. I was living a life that was very tailored towards everyone else. Um, and just, just generally unhappy and unhealthy. And, you know, in the year and a bit of doing this, I, I, I don't think I'm a, a different person. I think I'm just back to my roots. Right. I think I'm, I'm like welcoming in this and this version of me that I've always wanted to be and always knew was there, but just kind of got covered up in all the different layers of like what the outside world told me, what I chose to believe, the, the situations that our world is kind of, that collectively we're all experiencing together. But I, I don't know. That's a good question. So I that, don't know who I am. Like, <laughs> I'm still learning. Sense. It makes sense because so you talk about this nature versus nurture stuff, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, how many five-year-old kids have anxiety issues? <laughs> there may be some, but it's not, compare that to adult population, very mm-hmm. different number. Why? Because, okay, neurologically are wired a certain way, right? We talk about dopamine, there's serotonin, adrenaline, different chemicals that drive your behavior. Something has to happen, that load that, you know, like you said, your family said this to you, the relationship, this thing happened, with money, this thing happened, and then it starts to trigger the response. Here's the way I respond to stuff because of the way Mm -hmm. my brain is wired. What you're doing is... I could either... By the way, a year and a half, you, you, you unpacked and unraveled the stuff and considering the condition a very quick time right thank you so because if you think about the day that somebody gets prescribed that anxiety pill it's very very unlikely that in a year and a half that they're no longer on it and their problem is resolved yeah let me clarify though because i was like oh i I was like oh in the year and a half of of doing my like having my page i think i've healed more than than the past right but i've had anxiety probably since i was seven right and then was like diagnosed at 17. But I think, you know, what you're saying is very true. Like, I got to give myself a little credit here that in like the year and a half, that's being when able you did to, the work. yeah, that's it. That's, yeah. that's when I did the work, but, yeah. and it's hard work. Yeah, it's hard work. And then that, and so that's what you did is you unpacked all this stuff and you took that sort of nurture off the nature, right? Mm-hmm. Here's who I am. Here's the, you started to identify because first of all, you were sort of, brave or open enough to even say that this is what's really going on Mm -hmm. right i don't have a condition uh and i'm not saying this is true for everybody some people actually need medical support right in your case and this is for most people uh you weren't born this way right it's not uh taken for granted and all of a sudden you started to identify well here's another layer which i can now because you became sensitive to it became aware of how to think about it right and you started to remove those layers and you came back to your original pre-seven-year-old self who didn't have this issue. That's exactly it. Right? Exactly. And you just, uh, that, here's the original me, anxiety-free. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And that, so that's what I think if people take one thing away from this is to understand, yes, there's certain people that need support clinically, right? For the most part, and we see this for most chronic conditions. You name a chronic condition, this is true for most of them. Mm-hmm. You weren't born with it. You don't have it per se. There's some choices you're making that are mismatched to who you are mm-hmm. and then over time they compound you get a condition and that thing gets worse if you continue down the wrong path those wrong choices yeah right you have built this process to identify them and eliminate them mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're not sick yeah right such a nice way to put it yeah no, it's awesome what you've done thank you so anyways i want to thank you for being here this was awesome 
I think people should reach. How do they find you? How do people find you? You can find me at My Anxiety Coach on Instagram or www.myanxietycoach.ca. Still new to me, so that's why I'm like processing. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, what is it? How do you get to me again? I'm yeah. someone. <laughs> yeah, and I could see the anxiety as I was coming yeah. up. So yeah, but I, I would you know urge anyone that's going, if this sounds, if it resonates and it sounds like you, get somebody to work with you, you know, because it's it's, the the worst thing is to do this for five, six, seven, ten years instead of a year and a half like you did. Mm-hmm. So the proof's in the pudding. You're sitting right here. You had these issues. You were told to take pills. You took pills mm-hmm. for a number of years, yeah. right? Then you started to figure out why is this happening to me? Yeah. And you removed those whys one by one by one. Here we are today. No issue, right? Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs>